0: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode. Um, We're going to start the show a little differently today uh, because I would like to change up the format just a little bit. So I know we're really only three episodes in, (laughs) so um, changing the format uh, will not be um, so much of a of a huge deal, um, But for those of you who were listening to the to the podcast and you're like, Wow, this is like this is the jam. I love I love everything about this show, which I hope you certainly were saying. Um, for many practical purposes, I'm going to change things up. So a lot of the elements that you're used to, from the other format that we were doing with the podcast are going to stay the same but now we're going to you know try some things a little differently and what you what we might end up with is just something more of a variety show related to short stories which quite frankly um is more of the feel that I was trying to go for anyway. Um, So I I am really trying to get away from this kind of stodgy academic only type um, discussion that people have about short stories because I think that short stories should be part of um, more of a regular reading menu right and so if we relegate The study and thought and discussion of short stories only to an academic setting where young people or actually people of any age or young people in primary school or um, adults in college are studying short stories because it's more practical to read and study short stories than to read lengthy novels as you are learning to develop your craft um if we do that, if we if we leave discussion about short stories only for the academic world and and keep it as something really stuffy, then we lose we lose something. it becomes more of a chore. it becomes less um, less satisfying, I guess, as something to talk about. So what I want to want to do is to try to just make this a little bit more freeform. So the first thing that you will notice, I have not said the name of this podcast. So some of you who are listening right now, and you may think that the name of this podcast is Short Story Book Club Podcast, um, but we have changed the name slightly. So now the new name of this podcast is Short Story Discussions by short story book club okay so we are now short story discussions um, and as far as the content goes like I said we're still kind of you know playing around with a couple of uh, different formats and ideas and eventually we'll come upon something that we think will stick and that is functional um, for us to produce and also for you to listen to. And by that I mean m- most specifically we're getting rid of the calendar because because this is not a daily show nor is it a weekly show um, and quite frankly our publishing schedule is a little irregular at the moment to include a calendar on media that one doesn't publish regularly and two that you can go back and listen to at any time um, you know years in the past it doesn't really it doesn't really lend itself to that so one thing you'll find is that we're no longer doing a calendar on the podcast however if you do want a calendar of events for short stories you may find one in our newsletter and our that is our printed newsletter however the printed newsletter is only available to subscribers to the monthly subscription box and um, I can say a little bit more about that later in the podcast but for now let's get to the show welcome to short story discussions The podcast by Short Story Book Club, for people who love short stories. Today's podcast is brought to you by Short Story Book Club. Get the best short stories and snacks delivered to your door each month when you subscribe at shortstorybookclub.com. And now, here's our show. Make Trouble by John Waters Make Trouble is the printed graduation address of creative genius and Baltimore native John Waters to students at the Rhode Island School of Design. In his speech, he speaks of going against the crowd, or finding a place in conventional society and using it subversively to stir things up. Waters has a lot of advice for how to navigate the world. And it is as true for recent graduates as it is for anyone trying to make a mark in an industry. Every time I read Make Trouble, I walk away thinking about something new. This is what makes this book so wonderful. It's a short book worth reading several times, both in the sullen moods and in the joyous times punctuating the sweetness of life. It's the pep talk you wish you had been given that day when you said you'd give up, and the speech you wish you'd received right after you accomplished your latest goal. As much as Waters has been heralded for his counterculture approach to the world, it's surprising just how much of what he says fits in line with today's mainstream wisdom. In fact, Waters speaks the new language of today's entrepreneurs. When speaking of being your own boss, he shares this experience. But how can you be so disciplined? Friends always ask when I tell them my job is to get up every day at 6 a.m., Monday to Friday, and think up insane stuff. Easy! If I didn't work this hard for myself, I'd have to go work for somebody else. Later he acknowledges that sometimes artists can't always work for themselves so he offers this advice to those in an office. Hopefully, you've never been taught to fear rejection in the workplace. Remember, a no is free. Ask for the world and pay no mind if you are initially turned down. There are motivational gems like this all through Waters' speech. Perhaps my favorite is this one. Remember you must participate in the creative world you want to become part of. What does this mean? It means that if you want to be an artist you have to go out and meet with artistic people. If you want to be in business you have to get from behind your comfortable computer screen with your spreadsheets and marketing on social media and instead spend time talking with others in your industry. If you want to be a better person, seek out people living with integrity and learn how to emulate them. It's all really simple advice, but sometimes, as Waters shows, it's the simplest messages that can be the most powerful. by the creators of The Elephant Song, an animated short recently featured at the Baltimore Film Festival. It is also the winner of multiple awards from around the world. The Elephant Song tells the story of Old Bet, the first elephant ever to step foot on American soil. Originally brought over to work in the fields of a New York plantation, Old Bet eventually became the unwitting star of what we Known today as the American Circus. Artist and director Lynn Tomlinson and Sam Saper, the film's co-writer and composer, join us to talk about the film and the story behind it. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thanks. Nice to be here.
0: Now, I did provide a brief summary of the Elephant Song, but could you... Um, tell us more about the film in your own words.
2: Sure. Um, well, it, it's um, a film about Old Bet, which is a, a real-life story about the elephant that was the start of the American circus, a, an, an elephant that was um, paraded around in a menagerie, um, which sort of started the idea, the whole trend, towards exhibiting exotic animals in America. And... Um, So I learned about her real story. And then we invented a character of an old dog who was her friend in the menagerie so that he could sort of narrate the story of what happened to Old Bet. And there were some reasons why we thought that it would be good to have a a dog character, which we can go into. So it's the story of Old Bet told from the point of view of her
0: friend. Mm -hmm. the And why did you choose the dog?
1: Sure. when um, when we were initially sort of breaking this story and my mom came to me with this idea, um, when we were breaking it down into sort of beats and and trying to figure out here, the story goes here and then here and then here, um, the thing that we kept running into is that it was difficult with just the elephant and the farmer to have a really cohesive narrative for a couple of reasons, one of which is that um, there was no sort of sense of Ambiguity or sort of struggle because the elephant was pretty fixed already in her position and the farmer was pretty fixed in, um, in his. And so this character we were able to add a little bit of that. Um, also, I think it sort of provides a relatable presence um, without it getting too much into just sort of empty binaries. Um, so I think it it works for that reason. Um, and also. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't yeah,
2: know. I think to, to sort of um, go in more to what Sam was saying, so that the dog can go through a, a kind of character development over the course of the story. Um, you know, the elephant is always this captive creature, mm-hmm. and the owner is always the person who's exhibiting her. So that was, like Sam said, fixed. But the dog, through the course of the story, comes to see that his um, obedience to his master is um, is kind of, Hurting his friend, the elephant.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. So did so? Did you have? So one one of the questions that um, that I was wondering about is um, the score for this is actually, I guess the the entire narrative. So there's there's no dialogue per se, if I remember it correctly.
1: Right. Um,
0: so when you were. Going through these changes, you were saying, "Okay, well, now we need to have the the dog character to, to add more more depth or complexity to this to this story." Was this? Did you do this prior to finishing the score, or was this? Did you have the score and then you have to go back and rewrite all of the music? How did that work? We had the
2: the dog character before. Sam wrote the lyrics.
1: So the first thing we did before anything else was we outlined the story in a a pretty detailed way, Uh, and we essentially wrote down in sentences or, like, in little phrases, like, you know, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, like, one, old farmer's dog, right? Two, um, elephant comes to town, right? And I had those beats. I took those that we had done really together collaboratively, working about evenly. I took those and I wrote the song based on those, right? And so it the lyrics themselves, um, are almost entirely my creation, but I still my mom still gets the co writing credit because so much of the project okay. had to Yeah. Had, sorry. had to do with um coming up with those narrative beats. And
2: I'm remembering that where I came up with that story was um, I had to do a grant application, um, and I knew I wanted to do this story of Old Bet, and I think I had said to Sam, what if we have a dog? And then I sat down and wrote it sort of as a story, um, where, because a lot of it, um, the idea of an elephant never forgetting is important, and that the elephant is so lonely and remembering her family. That was a crucial part for me. So I remember um, planning out that part and writing it in a grant application which I didn't end up getting, but the good thing about grants, even when you don't get them, is they force you to think through what would this actually look like. Mm -hmm. So I had done that part, and I sent that to Sam, and he said, oh, this is strong, and we worked through the story based based on that.
0: Hmm. That's that's fascinating. So when you do your work um, like this, like these shorts, is that usually the process that you look for grants first before um, completing the story?
2: I mean, sometimes, sometimes that's how it happens. I mean, um, I've just written another grant application. We'll see. You know, it, it, it'll be—it's always interesting to look back and see what the the beginning stages were. And some things get dropped, and some things keep going. But as far as working with Sam, so Sam is my son. I think maybe we've alluded to that. Um, and when I used to drive him to high school, he went to uh, Carver Center for the Arts, and I would drive him every day. And I was working on a piece about a performance piece about jellyfish from the point of view of the jellyfish and we would talk about it every morning and he helped me so much and eventually wrote a poem that accompanied this performance piece so we've been collaborating I would say since then he helped me a lot also on my film The Ballad of Holland Island House helped me to structure it into a story circle
1: mm-hmm.
2: So Sam's a writer and he can help me a lot with the, um, the structuring of, of my ideas.
1: Yeah, and then to on top of that get the chance to actually write some music, which is really a passion of mine, was really incredibly cool on this project. And then to see that um, really borne out by our fabulous band, Trucker Talk, and by um, Sweetfoot Studios, where we recorded the whole thing, and also our singers, um, Brooks what well, is it? That's Brooks that's Long it. and Deletha Gillespie, um, was just was just excellent. It was su- such a sort of culmination. And then, of course, there was months more because there was that we had to begin. I mean, my mom had to animate the entire project, which took a a while. I mean, it's it's a very slow, labor-intensive, and solitary process.
0: Mm -hmm. And so, I uh, was doing a bit of research, and it said that it would take what is it three hours to do one second's worth of animation. Is that is that sound about right?
2: Go faster and some seconds go slower, but on average, that's about what I've calculated. Um, I listen to books on tape when I animate, and I listen to a lot of books. I yeah. I, uh, I would write down what every time I finished a book. You know, I just finished a 40-hour book, or I just finished a, you know, I think it was one book, it was like 50 hours or something. You know, so I could calculate the amount of hours I'd spent. And that's, those. I can only listen to the books when I'm really in the flow of animating. There's other times spent, like, trying to decide how I'm going to move something where I can't i can't just be in the flow. You know, when I'm just in the flow, it's sort of like knitting. I can do other things, but when I have to think of the cognitive parts of the animation, then I have to take a break from the book. So I can really see how many hours I spent because I know when I was listening to the book, I was just animating, and there's other hours on top of that. So it's, it really is very time-consuming. I try to deceive myself into thinking it's not that time-consuming, but it. It is. Yeah.
1: One of the things I think is, since this is sort of a writing podcast and, you know, I have experience with writing, one of the really interesting differences is that with Clay on Glass, you don't necessarily get stuck in the same way. You know what I mean? So it's this incredibly time-consuming process, but it is sort of like knitting in the sense that you can keep going Um, and animation in general is like that, whereas, you know, in writing, it can feel like the actual time that you're putting in where you're writing stuff that is good can be a very small amount of time, and there's a lot of sort of staring at the page, and I think it's almost all cognitive. Um, and so animation it's so interesting because it combines a big element of that with this element of literal physical labor and sort of repetitive task making um, or task completing, and so that's something I think I think maybe is interesting.
0: Yeah. So, so the animation does it have that, like, write and rewrite type of thing? I mean, you know, that editing oh. process.
1: No,
2: no so very little of it does. Right. Almost all of the animation, I know up front what I'm going to do. I've planned it. I either have a storyboard or often I make a little video um, of clips I find on YouTube that guide me through the movement. I would say the only part where I had to rewrite, you know, the uh, the quiff, yeah, edit or change is the part in the story that's a sort of turning point where the dog kind of is um, obedient to his master master and turns on the elephant. That part for me was very challenging and uh, I didn't have a lot of time. One thing is, this is interesting to think about, the the music gave me a set structure of time and I couldn't have any more time. So I only had, for example, this verse to get through And I had to have all these things happen during that time. So in that short amount of time, I had to fit in um, a lot of information and action. And that part for me was the most challenging, and I did end up redoing it a few times. And the reason that it's a little bit of a different style than the others, it's kind of just plain white clay with black lines, because since I needed to redo it a few times, I wanted something that wasn't going to be as time-consuming if I had to do it over again. Mm.
0: And I understand um, another one of your children helped you with the ending. Is that correct on this film?
2: My daughter, Lucy, um, who is 17 and a senior in high school, and is a wonderful artist, she, and my mother, actually, but Lucy uh, did the very last scene with the elephants walking into the horizon, and then she colored some of the other parts, too. We used a different technique besides just the clay on glass in this. In all of the choruses, we used a process where we printed out video frames from um, archival materials because I wanted to show the reality of uh, images of the circus or of um, transport of the ivory the, uh, the ivory trade. trade. So those we printed out actual photographs or video and then colored over them using oil pastels. And Lucy helped with that and also I would mail packages to my mother in California and she's also very artistic, and she would color over them with the oil pastels and mail them back to me.
0: So this sounds like a family affair, right here—a family project. Is—is is this normally how uh, you work?
2: This is probably the most uh, yeah. the most time I've really drawn on all my family. You
1: know, but my, but yeah yeah but mosaics. yes in general. And in Florida, where we used to live, my mom made a number of big mosaics. Um, Sort of outdoors, and those she would always draw on the local surrounding communities, whether that be the the neighborhood community or sometimes it would be um, like a school community. Um, so I think that a big part of her process is collaborating with these sort of communities or with with her family or, or whoever that is. Right? It is. Uh, it's a colla. She's sort of the the spearhead of sort of a more collaborative process, which I, I think leads to stronger and more interesting work.
2: Mm-hmm. And. A lot of times, people say to me, uh, "How do you manage to stay productive with your, you know, having kids and a family and a job?" And that's what my husband and I have always done: is just brought the kids along with us. Like if we're going to a conference or a, a lecture or a museum or whatever it is, like we we do interesting, creative things, but we just make them come along with us. And uh, now they just come along with us in the project too.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I remember um, I, there's this movie called. Um, I guess it's uh mockumentary um of uh, the disaster artist, so there w- was james Fran- was I'm sorry,
1: Tommy was so yeah, the room, yeah, I read the book that that's based on
0: yes, so uh James Franco and his brother uh did did a, a i guess a movie um, remake um of the of the book and in an interview, um, they were talking about how, um, and I, unfortunately I can't remember uh, his brother's name, but James Franco's brother, <laughs> which we'd, he would probably hate that I had said that, um, he, he said that he didn't want to do any projects with James until he had first established himself as um, you know, an artist in his own right. And I see, you know, Sam, um, that, you know, you are an artist and, um, you know, um, Lynn, your daughter Lucy has, you know, artistic abilities, all of that. Is there ever any tension about, um, you know, whether whether the work of your children will be compared to your work, this award-winning work? that you have, whether they had this pressure to sort of live up to um, the success that you have had. I know this is something that many Hollywood families struggle with.
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, modestly. I just don't think I'm at that that level uh, that they need to be concerned. But, no, I mean, Sam's making a huge project of his own, and the only way I really help with that is just to listen. And and my husband, too, we all just have him... uh,
1: you get you know, some play. Feedback, you give but, feedback, but it's, but it's not a collaborative right. thing in the same way. Um, what I would say is that my mom's process is r- really unique, maybe almost in the world. There's maybe one or two other animators that use even a similar process, and they use it to such different ends um, that it's very different than something like acting, where you have hundreds of thousands of people that are basically doing a, a similar craft. Um, so I don't think there is very much tension because. It, it, it is this really unique process, and it's so different even than, than filmmaking or anything. I mean, animating is a, is excellent, but but it's really different. Um, and and also, I, I you know, I think that it's it, it it is different when it's you know a brother brothers. I would see there being more competitiveness than you know. Whereas a family, it's more like learning the craft. You know what I mean, and even though I, I, think I'm doing a pretty different thing. My sister's been, you know, doing a little bit of clay on glass animation herself, and I think that it, in some ways, you know, that's how it used to be. You would sort of learn the craft, and you know, I think there's something nice about that.
2: Hmm. Actually, um, a, there's a, in independent animation, which is a very small world of people yeah. making independent films. There's actually quite a few families where yeah it goes on. Down in the family. I mean, it's there's um, the Hubleys. John and Faith Hubley yeah. made independent films, and their daughter Emily Hubley made uh, is an animator, and she made the animation in Hedwig and the Angry Inch, for example.
1: Yeah. And, um, and they had been working with her since she was, literally one of their movies has her her narration sort of audio when she was a little child, and so they, you know, it was very much collaborative their approach. Um, and yeah, I think you see that a lot because it is, in so many ways, a craft, and it is so solitary, you know. And I, I think that's 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 interesting. But I, you know, where else you see that a lot? I think is in 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 writing families. You know, I, I think that that there there are many similarities to that. And in many ways, I think animation has maybe less in common with filmmaking than than something like writing in certain respects.
0: Hmm. So. Then Sam, is music your um, medium of choice?
1: It's one of a few. You know, I'm I'm a writer, so writing I think is 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 my medium. But but writing music in particular, um, I I do feel passionate about, and I I, I like the way that it um, is such a um, uh, tangible sort of fun way, or not. Fun, not just fun, but but visceral, I guess is the word, way of getting across a story in a way that people can really understand and then stretching that and saying, what are the most interesting, provocative, important stories that we can tell without them seeming, um, I don't know, over-weighted or whatever, right, in in the form of song and, and using this ancient narrative technique um, in the best way possible you know that's something I'm really fascinated by and so at least my last couple projects right everything I've been working on for the last two and a half years at least um, has been in one way or another a song a songwriting based project will that continue in the future I'm I'm, I'm really not sure you know I'm, I'm young and I, I I'm gonna see where, where various different things take me but I definitely want to do something with writing
0: mm-hmm. now um I, I want to uh, go back to the song for just a moment, um, or the the score. Should I call it the score or the the lyrics?
1: The, sure, the whatever score. you want. It, it 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 is a song, so you can call it the song.
0: Okay. Um, now, I noticed that you know you were talking about you know um, expressing, <clears throat> excuse me, very very heavy topics in a very um, accessible, remote way with with song. What I noticed was that in a song that is so sorrowful, you know, that is so, yeah. you know, melancholy, it has such a fast tempo and it's almost joyous. Was that yeah. intentional?
1: Yeah. Um, and I put some thought into that. Origi- so the first draft of this song, it was bluesy. Uh, and it was much slower and much longer, and almost 13 minutes. Um, and that was not going to be workable just because of the constraints of the animation. So the tempo, I did go back. We did actually put a lot of thought into the exact tempo because when it was too fast, it felt wrong. But when it was too slow, and I, I have reasons why I like the tempo, but, but literally one of the things is that when it was too slow, it was going to be too long to animate feasibly and and to just literally get that information in in an on an animatable length it had to be of a certain tempo now on top of that I do like the idea that it you start off and you think that it, this is going to be one sort of story and then it it doesn't pull the rug out from under you but it slowly you start to see oh wait this is a little bit darker and a little bit more uneasy, and I don't want that to leave any sort of bitterness in the, in, in your mouth, and I do, I, I view this really as, as a movie for children first and foremost, you know, and it is a dark movie, but I really think it's uh, um, important, and, and we made sure that it would appeal to children, and there are lots of children in the movie, and it's mostly sort of from a child's eye or a dog's eye view, right, it's low to the ground, um, but does that answer the question about the tempo hopefully? Yes, it does,
0: yeah, and the style that you chose was there a specific reason for that? It sounds as you had mentioned kind of bluesy, and I was thinking that with the dog's raspy voice and and the and the soulful singing of the of the um the animal um uh chorus or not chorus, but the animal um Portion of the song that maybe there that there was an intentional tie to to the blues tradition.
2: Yes. Yeah. So I remember. I think we were in a hotel. <laughs> I remember coming in and going, "It's going to be blues. It's going to be blues." Like um, my previous song has been a was a folk. My previous film was done to a folk song that I guess was more. It's a ballad, and so I I like the idea of doing another musical piece with a song, but what kind of song that might be um, didn't really occur to me until I think I was researching Old Bet and I I thought, I realized that, you know, she was an African elephant and I thought about the tradition of of blues and and then I thought that would be a great fit. But then the repetitive nature of blues didn't quite work because we just, it had to be more efficient. We couldn't have the same line read, what, sung twice. So then, it had to be more blues inspired, and we looked at old music, and our musicians looked. We looked at a lot of different. Um, we wanted it to not have to be stuck in the time period when the story is set, but to reference that. Right.
1: Early American. To sound music. like maybe it could be right. It it can be anachronistic, but it shouldn't be. Um, it shouldn't take you out of the story, um, and I think that there's something also about. I'm a tired worn out old dog you know with it, that could almost it's like it 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 calls to mind i don't know it, it it envelops you in this story because it's sort of this stock character presented in a new way right it's not a tired worn out old man it's a tired worn out old dog, and so that's sort of like that hopefully sort of gets you into the story like oh i I, I want to see where this is going mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and i I do also want to say that you know you made a, a lot of different creative choices with you know the story and the song and the animation and all of that and at the end of the day when i sit down and i think about it and i reflect on the work i mean obviously you know it has a lot to do with you know um as you had mentioned in previous interviews you know um, uh, it leans on your your interest in environmental issues and historical issues and things like that. But what I what I also love is the fact that it is very human, and that even though we're talking about animals, um, a lot of the experiences on on all the sides from all the characters, these are experiences that that people children adults have been going through throughout life when you are in one place and you think you are deeply rooted there and then suddenly something or someone takes you away from that and you are suddenly on your own you are suddenly alone to navigate and in this particular instance um, you know old bet didn't have anyone to lean on except for her memory her memory of yeah. the past and i and i really love that because that's not just an animal story it's a human story and yeah I, I want to applaud you both um you know the entire family everyone who who's had a hand in this um for being able to put that together so eloquently
1: yeah thank, thank you. you and i think you're spot on and i i think that the sort of the diasporic narrative, the narrative of being taken away. I think that's very important to the piece. And, you know, one thing I think is important, I I, I really don't view this piece as a direct metaphor for anything. I've had that sort of reading of maybe it's a metaphor for slavery or a metaphor for something else. And I, I really, you know, obviously the audience is free to interpret the work, but I feel pretty strongly that it is, It it is more about what you just said, that it is about diasporic narrative in general, and that the story is about slavery insofar as there were enslaved people working at the farm at this time, and there were enslaved people involved in the ivory trade. And it doesn't have to be a metaphor, right? It it, it already contains that within it, um, and it already is diasporic, you know. And so I, I, I really... I appreciate that you were able to find uh, such n- sort of nuance and meaning, um, and that was all very carefully considered the ways that we do and do not probe that resonance because it's such a powerful, meaningful one. Um, and I hope, I mean, I feel that we did that in a pretty specific and intentional way, and so I, ho- I hope that comes across, and I'm glad that you were able to get so much out of it in, in, in that way.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: I mean, sorry, just to say just briefly. To me, the the loneliness of being the only one of her kind—that's um, what I first heard the story. That's what really struck me: the idea that you would be the, that old. Bet could be the only one of her kind, her species, all alone, um, trying to connect to something, and all she really has is her memories. That—that's what resonated with me, and I think right. that's what you're picking up on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so it's it's a very powerful piece um okay so i don't want to take up um too much of your time because i know you're both very busy um where can we see the elephant song again in its entirety i know you have a clip online currently is it possible for us to see the the full film
1: so the film's going to be touring the festival circuit so that's very exciting for us and it's going to be at it's going to be at a special screening at the um, Hiroshima Film Festival in Japan. It's going to be where where else? Well,
2: well locally. Locally, um, it'll be at the Chesapeake Film Festival. Yep.
1: In Easton. In Easton. Which is exciting
2: because that's where our sound record—that's where we did all the sound recording at Sweet yep. Studio. And we'll be, have a panel there um, where we're going to speak about it. Sam and I and uh, sound recorder will all be um, Shay Springer will all be on stage and. Don't have the date off the top of my head, but that is this fall. I think in September or October. I could send you the
1: date. And in general, if people are interested in the film, you'll put our our fe- I emailed you our Facebook page, and you'll put that in the um, in the description. So if people are interested, they should follow the film there. Now, as for watching the film online, um, it will eventually be f- be free um, to watch online. But because of the nature of the festival circuit, we can't do that yet. Um, but that should be circa, I think, May 2019. Probably. Yeah, so around May 2019, um, the film will be online and free to view for all. And at that point, I can email you a link, a, a link although, of course, it's a little ways in the future. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, well, we're always looking for Baltimore opportunities. so there's, if yeah. you follow us on Facebook, we'll be posting any time that it streams in this region. Um, I've entered a, a couple of festivals uh, in D.C. and Baltimore area, so... I would say over the next year there will definitely be some chances to see it on the big screen, which is certainly a different experience than watching it at home on your laptop anyway, or on your phone. (laughs) So I encourage people to come out and see if they can see it at a a theater.
0: Okay. All right. Well, um, Lynn and Sam, I want to thank you both again for being on the show. This was a great interview.
2: Thank you. Thank you you so much. Yeah, you did a great job. We enjoyed talking to you. and. you. Appreciate you all your um, careful insight and
0: feedback. Well, that's it for the show. I hope that it was as enjoyable for you to listen to as it was um, for us to produce that show for you. I want to encourage you to keep in touch with us. So the podcast is just one of um, one of many ways that you can stay in touch with Short Story Book Club. We are also online at shortstorybookclub.com. You can also find us on Facebook at SSBC posts. That's with an S at the end. You can find us on Twitter at SSBC Tweets, again with an S at the end, and on Instagram at Short Story Book Club. Now, if you want to go all in on Short Story Book Club and have access to our printed newsletter and our short story of the month and our monthly snacks, you can sign up for the Short Story Book Club monthly subscription box and details are available on our website at shortstorybookclub.com well that's it for now see you next time